Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and producer of Kreditsya, The Well, a podcast series about interesting and noteworthy Ukrainians from around the globe. Today is Thursday, June 9th, 2022. And this podcast is produced for The Ukrainian Weekly, a paper that is focused on the global Ukrainian community since 1933. Our guest today is Ostap Krivdik, who has a number of things that he's been involved in. He's a foreign policy and international security expert. He's the international secretary for the resistance movement for Ukraine. He's a freelance columnist, and he has written for, among other publications, Ukrainska Pravda. And currently, he's on active duty with the Ukrainian army, uh, holding the rank of private. Welcome, Ostap. How are you? Hello, Mike. Uh, Thank you very much for having me in. Thank you for joining us today. So to start off with, if you could give our audience some background about yourself, you know, your education and professional career. Yeah, well, I was born in Lviv in a family of uh, engineers and my uh, grandfathers on fraternal side are from Lemkivshina, so they were deported and some members of my family were fighting in Ukrainian insurgent army and on my uh, mother's side, those were Greek Catholic priests who were very heavily, very harshly treated by the Soviet power. Some members of family are murdered, were murdered, some uh, my great-grandfather went to Vorkutlach to Siberia and spent 10 years there for not giving up his faith and his service as a priest. So in my education, I was educated in Lviv University and Kiev Mile Academy as a political scientist. And later on, in 2018, I was sent to London to study at King's College London and Royal College of Defense Studies. And during my professional career, I worked as the journalist. I did some work in politics. I worked for the political parties in elections. I was a columnist. And uh, I was a professional revolutionary twice. During Orange Revolution, I was chief of creative division of Pora Youth Movement. And during Revolution of Dignity, I was international secretary of Maidan Self-Defense. And later, I went to serve in the government with Andriy Parubi. I was his foreign policy advisor when he was secretary of National Defense and Security Council, uh, then first deputy speaker, and then the speaker. And together with him, I was honored to travel to Canada and to the United States, where I was tasked to organize his trips as the speaker three times. So in recent years, I worked for the Analytical Center of the Ukrainian Catholic University and also did some oversight of the Ukraine progress in integration to NATO. When the war started, I joined uh, resistance movement Free Ukraine, which is currently working in building underground on occupied territories. And I was called to army and I joined the army as a military fireman. That's where I am saving now. Thank you for that background. So for discussion today, I'd like to focus in specifically on the occupied territories in Southern Ukraine. 
Can you give some background on what's happening there at this point? Southern Ukraine is a space where Ukrainian army first is holding the line and secondly is counterattacking. There are places which are under the threat, say Krivirih, the place where the current Ukraine's president Zelensky was born. So the front line is some 50 kilometers from that city. But as I know, the defense line is standing strong there. There are some counterattacks in the Mykolaiv region, so closer to Dnipro, where Russian forces might be pushed southward. And for the moment, information is that Ukrainians have freed a couple of villages in the course of the last weeks. However, it is hard to say that the dynamic got changed and there is a sustained offensive from the Ukraine side because offensives are very costly in human lives. Occupied territories, especially Kherson, Kachovka and Novakachovka, bigger cities are now being repressed. So there were mass protests against the occupation and right now those people are targeted, arrested, captured, tortured and some of them are even disappearing. There is also a reporting from the people on occupied territories of the harassment of women there. So it is tough and tragic, but underground is emerging and occupying force of Russia is quite nervous about the resistance growing there. There's also evidence on harassment of the local farmers who declined to work on their fields because occupiers are taking their properties, are taking the grains, and it's an ongoing struggle. So can you give us some insight as to why the Russians are so intent upon occupying southern Ukraine? What what is the primary reason for this? The major reason for them is Crimea. So first, Crimea is lacking freshwater sources and water was supplied by the channel from Dnipro River, which was controlled by Ukraine. And actually, Ukraine locked the supply of water into the channel. Right now, Russians unlocked the channel. And second issue is the so-called land bridge along the Azov Sea, which was necessary to sustain for Russia because uh, having the sole so-called Crimean bridge over the Kerch Strait is not sustainable. And if the bridge is targeted, and I'd say the question is when, not if Crimea will again be left as an island and sustaining an island is much more complicated logistical task. And Russians have faced it already before in 2014 and 15 and part of uh, 2016 when they had to sustain Crimea by ferry. So still the land corridor is quite narrow and parts of that corridor still Ukraine has fire control, uh, the control with artillery fire over some parts of the road. So Russians will still have to uh, sustain that land corridor and one of the possible directions of the Ukraine's counteroffensives is cutting that so-called land bridge or the so-called Novorossiya 
although there is a growing evidence that Russians are heavily fortifying the outskirts. What is interesting, however, is how big is the attack, how big is the robbing of the properties there by the Russians. So it does not really seem that they want to really develop the territory. They are looking at it mostly from the defense perspective. Well, stop. I'd like to talk about the local resistance in uh, Russian-occupied southern Ukraine at this point. From what I'm reading in the press, it seems to fall into two different categories. And at this point, it's really kind of anecdotal because you don't see a lot about it in the media. On the one hand, there seems to be the local population in places like Melitopol and other areas in southern Ukraine where the population is actually actively protesting against the Russian occupation versus more organized guerrilla slash partisan activity. So would you care to comment on that? At the very beginning, it was more of the peaceful resistance. And in some places like, say, Kherson, people even uh, stood the ground on still waving Ukraine's blue and yellow flags and even keeping them on city and regional administrations. Although after Russian army, Rosgvardia and other Russian punitive institutions came and mass repression started with hundreds of people being arrested. Therefore, armed resistance started growing, although it's a bit disproportional. There's less of it in the uh, regional center in Kherson. There is more of it in small towns like Melitopol and probably even more in the villages where occupying forces are coming and leaving and where they cannot stay for long because of the lack of the manpower to fully occupy those territories. People are dissatisfied. Anger is growing for different reasons. Uh, Definitely occupying forces of Russia are destroying The monuments, they are destroying the decommunized names of the streets. But people also suffer a lot from the lack of the medical supply and to a certain extent from the lack of food. Russians uh, have been supplying more and more fuel into the region, so it's of a less concern. But they completely closed any access of people to the uh, territories controlled by the Ukrainian government with the only way of, say, evacuation or leaving being Crimea and some parts of land bridge, but actually the so-called land bridge is still closed. So yes, people are dissatisfied and the repressions bring about more and more harsh response from the local people, although it would be right to say that local resistance is to be armed better and local resistance there is way more potential for it than is active right now so i believe uh, local resistance will be growing so early on in the conversation you talked about your own family and um, i guess it was your grandparents' generation, who were actually Lemkos in uh, far western Ukraine in Poland. And you mentioned someone had participated in the Ukraine insurgent army, UPA. Yes, actually, one of the uncles of my late grandma 
was a member of the unit who killed Karol Śmierczewski, one of the generals of the Polish army, which is believed to have triggered the whole Wisla operation. How would you characterize the situation in southern Ukraine at this point? Whereas UPA was fighting in a mountainous region in western Ukraine, and it was probably easier to find hiding places to hit and run, as it, as it were, using those kind of tactics. Do you think the same kind of tactics can work in southern Ukraine? Well, actually, the environment now is a bit different. While in the um, rural areas, uh, it is rather hard to hit and uh, hide because those are steps, those are lowlands, and there are no forests. So most of the resistance is actually concentrated in the cities. So here we speak about urban warfare as the major tactics. And there are two dimensions to it. First dimension, and for the moment it's most more prevalent, is the informational and psychological warfare. So there's a lot of leaflets directly saying to the Russians that they will be killed and they should get out. So there's, there are numerous examples of those leaflets being posted on the walls around, say, Kherson, uh, Melitopol, Berdyansk, and some other smaller cities. And of course, most of the fight is actually taking place at night when Russian block posts are ambushed or local co- collaborants are uh, assassinated. So there is not too much feeling of the occupiers that they control the territory. Can you give any specific examples of successful attacks that have occurred by the partisans in southern Ukraine in the past month or so? It is rather hard to attribute those attacks to the specific units because most of the guerrilla fighters are trying to stay anonymous And as it usually happens in the urban warfare, during the day you have a common civilian who walks the street, who works in some specific usual location, and at night he turns to be a fighter. So it is hard to attach both the names and the institutions to those attacks. But yes, I can speak of major attack which took place two days ago on June the 7th, in the center of Kherson, where cafe, where local collaborants were sitting and having meeting, talking about how would they manage the occupied territory under the auspice of Russians. Say in Enerhodar, which is Zaporizhia Oblast, this is the city where the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant uh, is placed. So um, the um, so-called local mayor, which was put there by the Russians, his car was blasted and he was badly wounded. And also uh, Melitopol, three weeks ago, there was a major blast in the center of town and three Russian soldiers were wounded. So those are the things that are happening. We don't really have many of the reports of that because not with every ambush on the Russian checkpoint at night, there is a capability to film it and later to verify it. 
but those things are happening and with Russian repressions, the quantity and the quality of those actions against occupiers are growing. Well, Steph, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you one last question. Do you think that the occupied areas of southern Ukraine will ultimately be liberated? And if so, how long do you think it will take? Ukraine's problem is the war with Russia is not only Ukraine's issue. It's a global issue, including very various aspects such as nuclear non-proliferation, international maritime law or uh, the territorial integrity constant. And here, Ukraine's will and ability to win does depend on the resolute actions of our partners, first and foremost, the United States, but also the United Kingdom, the European Union, some other major players around the world like Canada. The question is, Will our partners see the same scenario of victory as we, the Ukrainians, do, which is restoring the full Ukraine's territorial integrity, which was there before 2013, or some thinking about escalation against Russia would deter the West of helping Ukraine? It is clear that Ukraine by itself will not be able to win over Russia. So here I would consider South of Ukraine in a complex international picture. Yes, Ukrainians have shown that they are able to defend, but whether Ukraine will be able to reclaim those lands does depend on the aid from the West, specifically regarding long-range artillery and the specific aircraft uh, attacking aircraft, bombers. So, and again, Ukraine's naval power, if, uh, even if it's a mosquito fleet, is to be restored. So, within that scope lies the answer whether Ukraine will be able to reclaim the South. And I do believe that Ukrainian rebellion will uh, help us to liberate it. It's hard to forecast the timing. It might happen sooner if Russia collapses. It might take years or, God forbid, even decades if Ukraine does not sustain its slowly progressing advance. Ostap, thank you so much for joining us on Krenitsia today. My pleasure. I have been speaking with Ostap Krivdik, who is a foreign policy and international security expert And we've been talking about the occupied territories of southern Ukraine, which are now occupied by Russia, and the uh, beginning of guerrilla and partisan activity, as well as local population resistance there. And I'm Mike Burek, your host and producer of Krenitsia, The Well, a podcast series about interesting and noteworthy Ukrainians around the world. This episode has been produced for the Ukrainian Weekly which is a newspaper that has been focused on the global Ukrainian community since 1933. Until next time, that's all for now.